Hello, I'm Donna Edda, and this is Interested, a podcast that brings you stories from brilliant minds to inspire love, health, and growth. I'm thrilled to bring you this interview with Ruth Benny. She is possibly the most knowledgeable person about education in Hong Kong. She founded top schools in 2012. They're experts that help families find the right schools for their children. They have a 100% success rate for school placements. Ruth has over 20 years experience in different areas of the Hong Kong education system as a teacher, a teacher trainer, a parent, and now advisor for both the local and international sectors. Ruth moderates a popular online forum called Hong Kong Schools with over 27,000 members. It facilitates candid discussions and information sharing on the Hong Kong education landscape. So I met Ruth five years ago when we had to apply for schools for our first child. We had no idea. i just returned to Hong Kong after living overseas for many years. We didn't know where to start or what to look for. Ruth guided us with finding the right schools for our family. Five years on, touch wood, we're still happy with the outcome. In this conversation, we get up close and personal about Ruth's experience as a parent in the Hong Kong school system. With access to all the inside goss, I'm curious on how she approaches education with her own children. You're in for a treat. Without further ado, I bring you Ruth Benny. I want to start off with your story about your first business when you were 10 years old. (laughs) Tell us about that. Hmm, Was that from my LinkedIn profile? Yes, it was. Um, that was my sister and I um, running up and down the road with uh, buckets of water, soapy water and sponges um, offering to wash people's cars. I think five pounds, potentially. Maybe that sounds too much. We did a really good job. I'd pay, I'd pay $100 for somebody to wash my car tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, yeah, that was my first business. About, about 10, my sister would have been about nine. What was your motivation back then? Were you just saving probably up for money, something? Probably, probably. And then when I was about 21, a friend of mine, a friend and I, um, we sold beer at Notting Hill Carnival for a stupid markup. Um, we went to like the equivalent of um, do you have macro, you know, the wholesalers. Yes. Um, we bought Red Stripe for 75p. I think we sold it for £2.50. We strapped a big bucket of um, cans with ice onto a, onto a trolley and we, we, we somehow we made our way through these crowds and these people were so happy to pay £2.50 for a cold wow, beer. Wow, nice. Um, yeah, so... Where, where did you grow up? Essex. I'm an Essex girl. Okay, so tell us about your childhood. These weren't in the questions. I know, but these... <laughs> <are> <laughs> um, my childhood... Um, Normal, suburban, um, you know, on the suburbs of London. Um, I went to state school for my primary. I went to private school for my secondary, a really no-name, normal. Um, My parents made a big sacrifice to send me to secondary school because they thought I was bright, I suppose, was the term that was used back then. Um, But I didn't get into the school that all my friends got into. (laughs) Um, I didn't pass the entrance test. So I went to another private school. Um... What else? I had a sister, 15 months younger than me, and my children are 15 months apart. Nice. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, just normal. I mean, my mum was a stay-at-home mum, but I think she was a frustrated stay-at-home mum. In what way? Um, well, it's just different times, right? You know, she went to, she left school at 15, she went to typing college, and she worked for a couple of years, then she met my dad, got married, and that was it, you know? Mm. And, and I just feel that the opportunities weren't there for her that, that we had, you know? I mean, I'm the first in my in my family to go to university, although I didn't go when I was 18. Right. Um, yeah, just different times. My dad, unfortunately, passed away when he was really young. He was 56. Wow. Um, so my mum's been on her own, but she's doing okay. My sister, my mum and my sister are in the States. Um, so I get I, I get to see them enough, about once a year. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just a normal childhood. What do you mean by making a sacrifice, your parents making a sacrifice for you when oh, you go to high school? Oh, financially, to send me to, to private school. So it was school. a big deal. I mean, I, do you know what? I've never thought about it, but it's funny that most of my... Fa- I, it, it's an anomaly if I think of my own childhood and my other um, friends and current family and all their kids. Almost nobody goes to private school. Yeah, I did. And here I am in Hong Kong doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I'd never thought of it before. But they made a huge financial sacrifice to send me to that school. Um, which probably kept me out of trouble. <laughs> yeah, you reckon? So the public school was really different? I think so. I think it was, I mean, I'm, I'm the most undisciplined person that you could ever hope to meet. For me, my one of my core values is freedom. Freedom, you know, the wham anthem mm. from 1980, whatever, four. Um, and, and so, I, you know, to, to have a little bit of discipline instilled in me, at least to get through some basic exams, you know. But yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't continue. I dropped out and I didn't ever go to do When did A-levels. you drop out? Um, I did my O-levels, um, so I was 16, and that was it. I didn't go to university. What did you do? I ran away with the band. I worked... Um, I got... Oh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> hey, we can edit this out if you don't <laughs> like it, but tell us the story. <laughs> I'd always wanted to work in the music business. When I was about 15, I started to... Um, what's the appropriate term I'm trying to think of a politically correct term for bunk off school but I don't think there is one I played truant um to go and see some bands and hang out at recording studios and stuff and the band was Duran Duran they were my idols you know I was in love with Lick Rose and um I got a job um with the band so we went on tour and then a couple of other bands after that and then I worked at Virgin Records for a brief moment and I I inhaled some of what Richard Branson was was sort of spraying around I met him a couple of times I was really young but but definitely um made an impression on me and And what was that he had this um he'd walk around you know he'd just drop in all the time really normal guy and he had this he had a couple of things he had a big party for staff every year that was just the best party Mm. ever and you really felt like you were valued as as a member of staff and he had this policy that if you if any member of staff no matter how how lowly they had an idea for the business you could book an appointment through his secretary he has an office on a houseboat I don't know if he still has but he did then in in uh, Little Venice you could get 15 minutes it was like it would would almost have been like a Dragon's Den pitch you know way before Dragon's Den you had 15 minutes up close and personal with Richard Branson to pitch your idea and um, and I thought that was really cool did you ever step up no. there <laughs> what in your childhood made you want to aspire to get involved in the music industry 
I don't know. I just think it looked glamorous and, and what made me want to get involved in the music industry. It was fun and it looked mm. glamorous and it was it was rebellious, I suppose. You know, it wasn't probably what your parents had hoped for you. Yeah. It wasn't nearly as glamorous as it looked. Right. So that <laughs> was going to be my next question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple of my friends... Um, stayed in the business for much longer and they still work there right and um, they still do different things related to music and they've made it work for them um, but it, it didn't last for me so fast forward a few years mm. that you get married did you mm. get married first or the children first <laughs> um <laughs> got married got divorced then got married no then got married right then had children yeah okay so when i was pregnant Everyone in Hong Kong was like, start planning a kindergarten, start looking into the schools. I thought everyone was crazy. It's (laughs) like, what are you talking about? You know, the baby is a baby. Mm. Um, What was your process when you got pregnant? Mm. Did you have this stuff around? Okay, so what was your approach with planning the education? I honestly do think that we bumbled along and, and, and my purpose for setting up the business was to I mean for us it it kind of worked out it was it was luck it was I I don't know a combination of of the stars aligned and all of that and it just kind of worked out um but I can see I saw for a lot of people that you just can't leave these things to luck um we okay so we were we considered ourselves to be Hong Kongers I'd already been in Hong Kong for a good about 13 years by the time I had my daughter she's 13 now so yeah about Mm. yeah and my husband a bit longer. So we, we um, wanted them to speak, read and write Chinese, which was kind of weird. All our friends thought we were totally crazy. Right. You know, because a lot of our friends, and we were slightly older parents as well. Um, and so a lot of our friends had grown up in Hong Kong. Um, they'd gone to ESF. Their kids went to ESF. And, and it, was, it was, you didn't really think about it that much. And, and back then it was more... I think it was more simple mm. but of course we bucked the trend we could have done that and my daughter got an offer at ESF as it as it happened but we we wanted this this Chinese um proficiency thing did you do you guys speak Chinese no well bit yeah, of ca- so a bit of Cantonese right. but not really no so why did you want the kids to have Chinese um um hmm Probably, I mean, you know, the the British are really bad at learning languages, and and it's it's a joke, right? You know, you just, <laughs> the Monty Python, you just go to a foreign country and you speak louder and more slowly, and it's embarrassing, quite frankly. Right. Um, neither my husband nor I do speak another language, and and it it's probably a, a source of embarrassment. Um, and also, we did a lot of reading and research around, um, you know, um, cognitive development in the bilingual brain, and. And we thought, look, we're here, there's an opportunity, we think it can only be a benefit and we've got to give it a try. And if it didn't work out, then who knows what, what would have happened. But um, And whether it even did work out is up for debate, right? Right, <laughs> I mean, you never know. Um, but, you know, no regrets. So we, 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 went on, we went down that route. So your daughter got accepted into ESF, you declined the offer. Right, and then this so is a bit later. Do? So, I okay. mean, earlier on, I mean, from the age of four months, we put them into a Putonghua speaking playgroup because we didn't have any language at home. They weren't hearing anything other than English. So we did that, and then that evolved into preschool. The the company that we, we had the playgroup, that ran the playgroup, they had a preschool, so we went through to their preschool and then my daughter ended up going on to ISF for primary school. Right, okay. And yeah. how was that? 
ISF is pretty hardcore in the Chinese, no? Yeah, so it is, but but it has to be, right? It works. It does what it says on the tin. Because for us, we knew that we were very, very deficient in Mandarin. It's not like anyone, neither of us spoke. um, So all the language that our children were going to receive was pretty much going to be... Well, not from us. Yeah. So a lot of it from school. And then, of course, we did a lot of other supplement as well. I was telling a story the other day. My daughter was, um, well, she was selectively mute, um, which is, I think it's kind of like a catch-all term. It's like saying your child's got colic, you know, your baby's colicky. Um, which doesn't really mean anything. We don't, we don't know the root cause, but but, but essentially she didn't speak mm. um, in school. She was extremely shy. And um, we were called in for a meeting with the teacher when she was in grade one. So she'd been in the school for a year and a few months. So we were a few months into our second year and we were called in to have a, a meeting. It was like all very serious and... And um, they suggested that we should pull her out of the school and put her into an English language school um, for the reason that she wasn't speaking in class. And I said, okay, so she doesn't speak in her Chinese class. And I'm like, no, that's right. We've, we've literally never heard her speak. We're like, okay, um, does she speak in her English class? And they were like, well, actually, now, now, now that you mention it, no, no, she doesn't. Okay, so do you think it's not a language-related problem? You know, so, I mean, I think that's symptomatic, like, all through people think we're mad and not just people not just parents trained educators don't understand what we were trying to do and they still don't understand and they make it doubly difficult for us we don't look chinese our children don't look chinese we don't speak you know we it it, to them it's it's a really strange concept and unfortunately i don't I, i can count on one hand the number of educators i know in this town who fully embrace that as a concept and I was inspired by my own upbringing because when I, I grew up in east, well, east of East London, Essex, mm-hmm. and I was pretty much the only white kid in my class. Describe that area for me because I'm not familiar um, with it. It's a suburb of London. It's actually on the tube. Um, so so my, my family immigrants, mm-hmm. like my, my, my family are um, Eastern Europe. They escaped the pogroms and they arrived in East London. There was the docks, right? And right. that's where a lot of the immigrants arrive. So after the Jews, it was then the um, Pakistanis and then the Bangladeshis, right? And, um, and once they got a little bit more... Um, they upwardly mobile they moved a little bit further east to my area so that was considered a step up right so in my school there were i was pretty much the only there was a few jewish kids so i'm one of the the jewish white kids but then they were all pakistani indian south asians bangladeshis and their parents didn't speak a word of english yet here they were they were thrown into um, an English immersion environment. And there was none of this. I, I'd never heard the term ESL or EAL. They weren't pulled out of class or considered to be special or different or deficient. They were just immersed. And it worked. And I know Chinese is a different language. I know Chinese is more difficult in that respect. But I just thought, well, it worked for them. I think that can work for us too. And so, so you were calm when... When you were pulled into the meeting and they confronted you, no, I was you. distraught. I, I left in in floods and floods of tears. But I, you know, I I got it together and I went went straight online. Another another time they suggested she was dyslexic. I mean, she reads and reads. She's a she's a yeah. I've seen bookworm. <laughs> um, you know, I think what we were doing and and even people doing it now, you know, with younger children, it's it's just not considered 
the norm by any stretch. Um, and unfortunately, people who don't understand it try to deter you from doing it because to them, you're creating additional challenges for them as educators um, because they can't, don't quite know what to do with your kids. So how did you overcome that obstacle? Because when everyone is a naysayer. Yeah. How do well, you know some, you were going to... There were some like-minded right um, other parents. Um, we did actually move her. Well, my son didn't get accepted to ISF. They don't accept all children in a family. Mm. So he got accepted to Victoria, which is a bilingual school, two teachers in the class. And we actually moved Kashi across to, to join him. And I think that was a mistake with hindsight. I, I am a big proponent of immersion. Mm. Immersion really, really works. And, and especially in my family situation where, you know, given the choice, they will always be English. They will always revert to English. Um, we've always chosen tutors who don't understand a word of English or, or certainly mm. can't speak because as soon as you, as soon as the kids realise a tutor can speak English, I've seen conversations go on for a long time where the other person speaks Mandarin, the kids reply in English, the Mandarin English, and, and that doesn't, you know... If it's a purpose, doesn't it? It does. Um, so, why was it mis- so why was it a mistake when you moved her to Victoria... She lost the environment where she was thriving. Yeah, yeah. Well, she wasn't thriving. She wasn't. But going back to ISF, so yeah, an intensely academic program, I would say, and immersion Chinese. So at her age, she was in um, 70% of her lessons were in Chinese, Mm -hmm. including um, a general studies class and PE. And um, and a lot of it was was all done in Chinese. And she was in the middle of her class. And they, they ranked students, you know, back then. That's pretty good. Um, right? Yes. No, no Chinese at home and she's still in the middle of her class. She wasn't at the bottom of the class. Right. And someone has to be at the bottom, right? Yes. And, and, and I, but, you know, the, the culture, the pressure, we just felt the pressure that she wasn't good enough. From the teachers? Yeah, from everybody. And we buckled, I think, you know, looking mm. with hindsight, we did buckle. And if I'd had my time again, I would have just stayed. So she went to Victoria and the Chinese program is not nearly as strong. In one of your articles, you talked about the curriculum and you said theories and philosophies can only go so far. Go beyond the specific learning program offered Mm. and consider the why, the how and the so what. Can you elaborate on those three things, especially the so what? I'm very curious. I mean, I like the so what concept as a concept. You know, if you want to do something or you don't want to, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because so what? So what? So what? Three times and you'll get to the core of why you're really doing it, going deeper and deeper. What is a question we should ask ourselves? I mean, what should I ask myself when I'm choosing a school? Is the so what, for example, the name of the school or is it the results of going into certain colleges. I think it's more about what it means to you as a family. We were talking earlier, right, about family values. I mean, this is just a neat little way to, to write it in an article, right? Yeah. But if we're, if we're genuinely talking about what, what, what is it, what are all the different things to consider when you're choosing a school for your children? I mean, there's a lot to it, right? But we were talking earlier about values mm. as a family. So we would normally say you want, you want to feel like you fit, 
right? You want to feel like you belong. These are my people, right? That, that yes. sense of belonging, I think, is really important. But going back, you know, ISF, clearly we did not belong. But the so what in that case, the end was in mind, right? So we were sort of struggling through a school system that we n- didn't necessarily agree with all the values that were being um you know discussed and we didn't necessarily agree with the approach we didn't appreciate the teacher's attitude towards us or to our children but we knew that we were in there for our reasons which was the immersion which we weren't going to achieve in in a different environment so we, in, in a sense we had to sort of like suck it up you yeah, know and but how do you weigh it up though what is more important to you i mean at that point was it clear that... Yeah, because they were very young. I mean, this is when my daughter was six. And, and, and you, we knew that... Remember, we wanted Chinese literacy as well as fluency. So we had to trust the school were doing that. They were delivering a program that we had no doubt that our children would stay in that school and that they, they, they had no um, option but to, to fit in to an extent. Let me ask you about the Chinese with the focus on wanting the kids have Chinese Mm -hmm. is it because you live in Hong Kong or you and your husband think the future is a place where Chinese will be very useful I mean when I grew up Mm -hmm. in Australia we learned Japanese um yes and yes but also about the cognitive development part you know the brain um, development and I'm no expert but I did read a lot of books and I just thought look it's it's got to be a benefit we thought that um we didn't know if Chinese would be their language later on in adulthood Mm. but we thought well if they later wanted to pick up Spanish or French that in theory should be easier once they have a second language that's turned out not to be the case my son hates his French classes (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, okay so that's one debunked (laughs) we'll see we'll see you know maybe um, he's only 12 there's obviously a lot of um, cultural baggage that comes along with this right Mm. having been in Hong Kong for quite a number of years prior not speaking Chinese very well ourselves, although actually an awful lot better than most of our friends. <laughs> I will right. say that. Um, I worked in Mong Kok in the, in the late 90s. Right. And, and if I wanted to get lunch, I had to do it in Kanto. And I think that this sense of belonging is, is really interesting because we are not expats. We didn't come here on a, on a two-year contract. We came here of our own free will and didn't intend to stay but as it happens we've just stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed now we would like to call Hong Kong our home let's let's imagine six months ago you know yes (laughs) now is is a bit of um potentially different conversation but you know we we do consider Hong Kong to be our adopted home but we're not true belongers right Mm. we're not Hong Kongers and we will never be accepted truly and neither will our kids but we thought at least we thought having the language skills definitely takes them a it's a huge leap closer to to being accepted and feeling like they belonged in Hong Kong. When you talked about the sense of belonging finding your own tribe in the school right you mm. want to feel like this is your your people how did you choose the right school for you what were you looking for? I think we didn't in the beginning I think we we, it was just the language. It really thing. was in the beginning because you don't see very many families mm. like ours. You know, we have no Chinese heritage, like zero. I did my DNA. I'm 99.8% <laughs> European. <laughs> um, so is my husband. Um, so we, delib- we did not belong I- initially. And now it's different? Oh, now it's different, yeah. How? So where are you guys now? 
Um, so my two kids finished um, Victoria for primary <clears throat> and they both go to different secondary schools. They're different children. Oh, that's another interesting topic. Well, they were in different schools in the beginning and then they right. were together and, and, and that was not by choice, but now is definitely by, by choice. My son's at Harrow and my daughter's at Malvern. So one's doing a UK curriculum and one's doing IB. Can you elaborate on the new culture that you guys are in now in comparison to what you had, say, Victoria and ISF and how that feels as a family? The sense of community, is it there now? Does it feel good? <laughs> Why are you scrunching I'm scrunching at my face. <laughs> I don't know that it's there. Look, I'm a working mum. I'm not up to school every second day like a lot of mums. Um, they're both really far away from where I live. And my kids are in secondary. So... I've always been pretty hands-off, honestly. You know, even when they were younger and all the mums are getting their knickers in a twist about the homework, I'm like, I don't know. And particularly when it came to the Chinese, right, I had, I, all right, there was some value I could provide by sitting next to them and supporting them and using the apps. And my opinion's pretty pretty darn good, actually. Right. But that wasn't my preferred mode of, of um, parenting. I would just let them get on with it. And when the school called us up and said, hang on, your kid didn't do that well in this test or hasn't done that homework okay you have a chat with him or her what what do you want me to do I mean I've I have already encouraged them as much as I possibly can I've made sure they've got all the tools that they need and if they're failing to complete a task for some reason you have a chat with them And, and particularly now that they're in secondary there's not a lot of parent involvement that is needed I'm curious how did that approach work when you well, it's fucking the, the trend, right? For yes, sure. Exactly. Were, were the teachers able yeah. to support that yeah. method? or Honestly, if I think about it and if I'm honest, I think my kids probably didn't get all of the opportunities that some of the other kids got because their parents facilitate those opportunities, right? So, Like what? What kind of opportunities are well, we talking be it, about? Um, you know, being picked for, for some sort of like team, especially sports teams, but they, they're orchestrating everything I, at school, I think right? They are. Yeah. The parents are, are facilitating these opportunities for these children, and that's not really how it is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, but in primary, I mean, I think definitely in secondary, the, the, there's more um, mentoring done for, for the kids. But I don't appreciate that. I don't think it's right. Yeah, you, we're, you're interfering, definitely. I, I mean, I see it. Um, children have conflicts, the parent will step in. Yeah. We are. Uh, taking away the opportunity for them to learn and grow and it may be an example of this when my kids were really little they did quite a lot of modeling um because they're quite in demand in in this town caucasian um kids blue eyes and when they were babies and toddlers um they it was quite good fun you know it was i liked seeing the photos i liked seeing them on boxes in in stores (laughs) and stuff like that now since they hit primary school the modeling agencies kept calling up and saying look can you can you bring your child to do this job and i was like well no they're in school and they said, well, okay, well, well, is that a problem? I was like, well, well, well yeah. I mean, what, what do all the other parents do? They, oh, they take them out of school, right? And I was like, no, you know, they, they go to school. They don't do the modelling. <laughs> um, <laughs> just about having your priorities right. What are your hopes and goals for your kids? Okay, now you're going to make me cry. Um, my hopes and goals for my kids. Oh, it's the cliche, isn't it? I mean, I just want them to be happy. 
I want them to be successful in the way that they define success for themselves. And then we don't know, right? We don't know all this, this cliche about, you know, they're going to be doing jobs that we that haven't been created yet mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, it's about core values. It's about um, being good people. I mean, that's not unusual, right? I mean, isn't that what we all want for our kids? Um, and then, of course, what we do, all of this, all the money we throw at it, you know, we're putting them in private school and we're sending them on these expensive camps and activities and that, I, I suppose we're just trying to give them exposure to lots and lots of different activities and different people and different circumstances and, and see what sticks. Because, well, we didn't, we didn't get those opportunities. Mm. Our parents couldn't afford it, but hopes and dreams for my kids are pretty simple and that they'll look after me when I'm old (laughs) (laughs) they won't forget about me (laughs) they'll pay for my care home (laughs) have you actually sat down with your kids and talk about this and do they know what they're we we do we do we try to um but they're still a little bit young um and my daughter's the older one but she's the, the one that's far less mature um, than my son they're too young to be I, I certainly don't want to start I don't want to prescribe what they might be wanting to do in life I, I, I don't at all why is that because it's their choice shouldn't be our choice you know and I don't want mm. them to feel um, constrained by societal expectations that you know okay you're 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 good at you're good at science and go go do something you know professional in the science field I mean I, I will support them in whatever they they choose to do what is education to you because if we're talking about schools and values and stuff <coughs> what is education is it to get well, a good job is it to learn a skill mm, it's much more than school I think for me the better word is learning right and and for a child formal structured learning takes place in school for a period of time but then learning begins before school. It happens after, before the school day, after the school day, at the weekends, during the holidays, and then after university. As adults, we're all still learning, right? And having an open mind. I mean, it, it's not a cliche to use a lot of the words that they are using in schools nowadays, where we talk about, you know, giving the children skills for life. That, that actually is, is pretty sensible. You know, as opposed to the old, outdated mode of learning, the the industrial age. You know, for lo- a lot of local schools here in Hong Kong, you know, it's um, information, facts, knowledge. You know, we'll feed them in to the kids, we'll drill them in, we'll test them, we'll give them a score, and then we move on. Hopefully, we've moved on from that when we're talking about international schools in Hong Kong. But a lot of the skill, resilience, character, uh, positivity. Um, responsibility a lot of those words are are being bandied around and that that definitely does make sense to me and these Mm. are the skills our kids need for um, yeah for being those good people in in life when they become adults but these are the things that you think they're learning at school or it's partly partly you want the school definitely to to be reinforcing so so in terms of you know there's a sense of belonging in the community in the sense that the the school the program we feel fits our values right so they they are yeah they're they're doing some interesting amazing things they're taking risks every day and they're failing and they're learning and they're you know I like you know I I appreciate all of that that is happening in school but of course we have to reinforce that outside of school 
Um, so it's super important that the kids have their own interests, different from one another, different from us. Yeah, definitely. And that they, they are passionate about something else outside of school. We definitely don't live in a bubble. But helping them to find that passion sometimes, in the case of my daughter, has been a real big headache. Oh, I want to hear about the headache. <laughs> Give us real life case studies. You take your kids to all these different activities and I think a lot of kids like something right and they stick with it yeah and in the case of my son it was rugby four years old actually two years old rugby's like titchy little thing but rugby he lives for rugby and sport in general my daughter on the other hand oh my goodness we have tried like everything and she just needs she does need a lot we do facilitate her to do certain things outside of school um, and nothing at the moment is yet sticking um, she's tried everything. She tried rugby. She was dancing around at the field doing her hair. Um, <laughs> we tried We tried football. We've tried athletics. We've tried music. Um, but now she's doing scouts. So hopefully, finally, I think that that might be her, her thing. At least she can stick with it for a few years. So if you were not to facilitate, what would her preferred oh, she, mode be? She's a social butterfly. And I do remember one conversation I had with an early childhood educator who I have the utmost respect for in Hong Kong and it was over a lunch meeting it was a business meeting but I took the opportunity to ask her about my daughter who I was worried about at the time and I said okay she's like this you know academically she's not really doing well and the school's saying this and da 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 and she said to me from what you've told me she loves to read and she has loads of friends I said yeah 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 but the school's telling us she's like you don't need to worry she loves to read and she has loads of friends. And so we, we sort of perpetuate those. Sometimes we tell her when she was younger that these are your superpowers. Mm. She had an assessment. I love that. She had um, a project from school one time about if you were a, a superhero, what would, what would you be? And, and she, she's really difficult to generate ideas. And I said, well, what are your superpowers? And reading. And so she, she developed this character. And, but she makes tons of friends so, so, so easily. So what I do really you think that is why mm. it's an interesting question because you'd not you'd say that she's a shy person, but she isn't. For she's people. a good friend. She's a good friend to people who she thinks are weird or different. Mm. I want to talk about mental health of the kids and parents. I mean, we're no experts, but it's really just from personal experience and possibly an observation. How are your kids finding their place in the world? There is so much going on. Mm. Do they feel like they belong? Do they feel like it's a happy place? Or is there pressure and tension? I don't believe my kids feel a lot of pressure and tension. So I believe that's a win on our part in this environment. Absolutely. Right? Yes. My daughter is um, mild ADHD. So she, we went through a lot of, lot of assessments last year, um, really honest, deep assessments from by parents, herself, her teachers, and quite a lot of it um, went into the areas of, of mental health, including depression and stress and anxiety and all of that. And she's really pretty balanced emotionally. So I was really pleased um, with the outcome. And I think my son is too. What does it mean to be mildly ADHD? What, what is um, She struggles with focus in class. So there's some really simple techniques and accommodations, they call it, in school that the teachers can be aware of that. And for her, it's a lot. It's, it's very much about breaking things down that seem unmanageable. 
and she freaks mm. out and says oh I can't do that it's too difficult well actually she's more than capable it's just an, an attitude and, and breaking everything down into little tiny bits that she can do and so it's just a little bit of it's, it's executive functioning I'm no expert but we've found ways to to work with our daughter on this it's quite um, interesting mm-hmm. because sometimes I do question is it is it our own brain or is it the environment because mm. mm. everything is so fast it's so intense mm. there's a chance that we're not built to we're not all built to thrive in this environment mm. right mm. and so giving the space mm. and the time mm. and the nurturing maybe it's not even a thing yeah that's a very australian perspective right is it <laughs> i think so i can always tell the australians in the crowd they're like yeah i'm chilled yeah, seriously right yeah. hong kong is a, is is a very intense i mean i love it for work you know i i i, I feed off of it i think it's amazing and yeah um, but you know you're right for for children so i think that's where you have to strike a balance you have to you know if we do choose to put them in a school that's a little bit more intense then we might prefer we have mm. to balance that at home so like you know if my daughter was in a very intensely academic school all the parents were going nuts mm. although the mums quit because they have to be at home to help them with their homework like that's nuts whereas we said oh you know you got 65 percent. that's amazing well done did you do your best did you do your best? And you did that on your own. And those other kids who got like 98%, their parents helped them every step of the way. So I'm not comparing you to her. Did you do your best? So we're happy with, you know, it's about effort. It's always been a lot about effort for us. Um, so, for, yeah, it's a balance. So how do you balance, balance it at home? Um, we've really, really always prioritized non-academic pursuits. For example? S- sport. Mm. Um, a lot of sport. Um, my daughter's, as I said, she's tried a lot of different things. She's she's done music, um, art. Um, she's now doing scouts, outdoor pursuits, um, walking, hikes, swimming. Our Sundays, we've been very we've been very lucky. We have a space in Hong Kong, which is our sacred space. Um, we belong to a club in Kowloon, and it's like our back garden, right? So there's swimming pools and playgrounds, and mm. we go there every Sunday. And the kids just, and since they've really, really little, they've just um, free play. They just free range. And it's a safe space. It's it's probably um, a couple of acres. Right. And we sit <laughs> and veg <laughs> and chat. <laughs> and, and the kids just coffee. do what they, and we don't see them for hours and hours and hours. So yes. we've always kept our Sundays for this. It's a Sunday ritual. Yeah. We love it. Oh, yeah, and the lovely. kids have grown up with their other friends there and the parents are our friends. So when you mention arts and sports as um, the downtime or mm. outside of the schools, how has that impacted your children's growth and how has it shaped them? For my son, sport is, he lives for sport, you know, and, and having seen him um, grow within his sport, which is rugby, um, it's amazing. I mean, that's his... Boys are different, right? I mean, that's his social group. That's where he, you know, he's been injured. He's been um, picked for the team. He's mm-hmm. not been picked for the team. He's gone to help out, to volunteer in all sorts of different other areas related to his team. He's coached actually through school. This is an amazing program through his school. Um, leadership is one of their cores. And um, he's been 
involved in a program to coach younger children from the community in football and rugby. Oh wow, and he was the that's the first amazing. one. He stuck his hand up. You know, before he's he's a sort of kid where you say, "Oh, there, there's a match on Sunday. Do you want to?" Yes. I, you know, you don't even have to. I sign him up for everything related to football and. Um, rugby and my husband's the one normally who trudges around from pretty much from 7 a.m on a saturday morning this tomorrow 7 a.m on pitch it's crazy wow um it's a commitment there (laughs) so definitely we facilitate that for him um but he loves it and and the the benefits that he's got through playing rugby are enormous like what can you be specific being part of a team you know I, I I'm big believer in team sports I know he plays tennis and I know other kids who who do swimming tennis but do a team sport as well you know it's, it's teamwork it's mm. all the skills that you're going to need later in life when you end up in an office environment like we are yes. here um oh the, the benefits of playing sport as, as a youth player and of course he has a mild ambition to be a professional I don't think he really believes that but I would hope that he actually continues to play for leisure well into his adulthood as long Mm. as he can and Hong Kong has been amazing for the rugby is amazing really oh it's one of the best things for us and for our family and you talk to any other rugby families um, oh it's the cheapest thing so I was I tell all our clients when the children are four join a rugby club it's about 700 dollars for the year okay it's run by volunteers and then there's subsidies the rugby union get money from the government it's the best thing to do in hong kong um socially Which, so it's just there's one rugby no, club or there's lots there's mini rugby's you guys will be Kung stingrays right. right there's the football club sandy bay is the best club <laughs> up the bay so um pot for lamb yes. you know and then there's there's clubs all over hong kong Nice. And what about the arts for your daughter, right? So she was doing music and arts. Yeah, she tried violin. She didn't stick with that. She tried piano. She didn't stick with that. She's doing drums now. She's sort of sticking with it, but I honestly just don't know. It's not really going to stick with her. I don't think it's really her thing. She does it for the social. She's in a band Mm. at school, right? Um, And I don't think she's very good, but she does it for the social environment. Um, Maybe she'll follow your footsteps and just kind of like no, run off with a band. No, <laughs> no. That's what you're trying to tell yourself. <laughs> no, I might forbid that. <laughs> um, what skills do you think your kids are learning at school that will help them achieve their goals? Do you think they are? Yes, but it's not stuff, is it? It's not knowledge or facts, Um because anybody can learn that anywhere. Um, it's the relationships between, you know, the kid, the relationships and the skills and the skills of managing those relationships in school and then transferring those to outside of school. That's that's really what they're learning. I guess that's why people don't want to do homeschooling. Character. People do want to do it, but it's a risk, isn't it? It's a big risk. Money matter is a big one in Hong Kong, especially with international schools. The return on investment is hard to measure. In one of your articles, you mentioned the amount of money we pour into <laughs> kids' education in Hong Kong is ridiculous. How do you as a family strike a balance between creating an environment for optimal education, which mm. could be from tutoring to extracurricular activities, mm. to providing a carefree and happy childhood, and then at the same time not 
burning your family savings into everything that you have to pay for here. How do you do it? It's expensive for sure. Well, I think that's a co- and that's a conversation we have to have with our children that they have to understand how much money we my my children, I mean especially when they hit you know, their teenage years, they're old enough to understand the seriousness of it and how much money we put into it. We have those conversations with our kids. Um, do you have discussions? Okay, well, this is our budget this month. This is what we can do. No, or how does it work? No. My son caught sight of his um, of, of an invoice from his school the other day and he went, how much? It's like, yep. Mm. <laughs> yep, really. And, and, and he, he's very budget conscious because invitations for overseas trips and all of this, they come out and he's like, it's okay, mom. I, I, I won't do that, you know, because he sees how expensive it is. Right. You know, and I'm like, no, 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 it's okay, fine. I, yes. I really want you to do everything. If you want to do it, you don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll send you. Um, so I think they need to know. They, I mean, we, we talk to our kids about money. My son is very, very... Um, interested in economics general normal family economics mm. and he's he's well actually he he manages my eight securities account um <laughs> nice. i gave him a bit of play money and he's done some investments that he's pretty happy with Great. um what is something that you will always say yes to um sports overseas sports trips why are they so important it's a really hard weekend for them. Um, I went a couple of times and I won't go anymore. My son gets permission from school to, to, to go out. But that comes with an ad- additional responsibility for him because he's missing work. So he has to go back and make up that, that homework and, and you know find out what he missed in those lessons. Um, so the responsibility is on him to do that. And I think so far he's okay. It's a really, really long weekend. They, it's intense. It's pressure. It's pressure in a, in a non-academic sense. I think it's a really good idea to, to put them through the mill. It's, it's highs and lows. I mean, when they win, they mm. are on cloud nine. When they lose, they are these boys these crying, like sobbing, you know, trying Aww. to keep it together. <laughs> I just think those experiences are really, really valuable for them. What's something that you would never spend money on? Oh, those. (laughs) Well, you're going to offend someone. (laughs) Those programs that your child is gifted, give them, give give us $30,000 for a week and and we'll we'll work with them. Gifted and talented programs. I I just don't buy into it at all. What are they they trying to achieve in those programs? They're just marketing spiel you know to make the parents feel special yeah maybe it's all about trying to keep up with the joneses and say all this competitive parenting nonsense you know what is the plan after high school for your kids don't know is it your plan or is it their plan it's theirs so you're not looking at universities and all that we we expect that they will probably go to university it it's the norm right and but I didn't. Mm. So it's really hard for me to say that you... In fact, neither did my husband. We both like did our own thing for a few years before coming back to formal education. I'm definitely keen on them taking a gap year. Mm. Totally up for it. Um, they go back to Taiwan, do some Chinese. My son's school have gap tutors coming in to be mentors. Oh, wow. It's a brilliant system. They're like big brothers. These kids are 18, 19 years old to the 11-year-olds, the 12-year-olds, the 13-year-olds. It's a really, really nice arrangement. I'd love it if my kids could do something like that. But no plan for the moment. Have they 
talked about it? Is it in the within the conversations with their friends? Yeah, we have talked about it. At the moment, the most pressing conversation is not university. It's going away for boarding school. Everyone right. is talking about it. Everyone. What year level is it usually? Well, the, we, my kids probably should have gone already or will be going next year and they're not. Do they so, want to? Well, my son wanted to. Um, we took him to um, UK for summer trips and he st- was a residential and they stayed there for like seven nights and he could they couldn't believe the size of these schools the facilities the amount of fun they had and they were like mom dad you know send us and my son in particular he was 10 and he was online ordering all the different prospectuses and brochures for all these different schools he was doing the research for you he was not a reader and he was pouring over these big fat prospectuses and telling me what sort of schools that he wanted to go to and these are schools in the UK um, where he has a passport for, but really he's only spent, you know, weeks, a few weeks there um, for a few years. So I, I, we talked about it and we decided that um, it, he, he would probably really thrive in an environment like that, but we didn't want to send him all that way away. So we sent him to Tunmun and he stays there during the week and he comes home on the weekends and it's a brilliant balance. He's it's, happy with that compromise. Oh, totally. Ha- well... At the moment, yes. Yeah. But it's about balance, isn't it? We, you know, we felt that, yes, a boarding school environment would be good for him. He could do all the sport he likes from 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. It's all, it's all done, f- you know, everything available for him. And um, he's very independent. He's very confident. And he wanted that. It was his idea, mm-hmm. not ours. But to do it in the week in Hong Kong, and I pick him up tonight at six o'clock, you know, and we have him all weekend. It's perfect for us. How can you be relevant and modern as a parent and they can still relate to do you know what i think those core human values are timeless don't you don't we all want to be like good to each other i mean these are all biblical values if we're going to get you know serious about it it's a blueprint for life and i don't think it's changed a lot over the last whatever if i'm honest i think our kids definitely do have to be more adaptable and flexible and more resilient than they ever did because the world is more complicated for us um and it will be even more complicated for them so definitely being ready for change and being able to cope with um setbacks and and be adaptable is probably more important nowadays than it was for us or certainly for our parents where everything was much more prescribed and it was safe Mm. and but of course then the rewards are so much more you know the risk and reward these are concepts that are timeless I think okay I'm going to wrap up this interview with a few rapid questions and then shouldn't think too much yes it can be long or short answers what is the best lesson that your mum or your dad taught you my mum always said to me, if you don't ask, you don't get. Oh, I love that. And I think in our family, we're uh, uh, not an orthodox Jewish family, but a Jewish family, and you'll know this word, it's chutzpah. <laughs> you can never have enough chutzpah. Nice. That's something I try to teach my kids. Yes, and, and, mm. and they practice it? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we, we say in our families that you always ask. Just ask yeah. and try. What is the book you have gifted the most or left the strongest impression on you? The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. About having a purpose, about why we're here. <laughs> Very philosophical. Um, he's a Christian, he's a pastor, and it had a huge impact on me. 
And um, when did you read it? When did you first? I think read I read it after my daughter was born, but before my son was born. And I'm a Jewish Christian, and I was baptized as a Christian in 2007 when I was very, very pregnant with my son. What <laughs> made you make that shift? A lot of things, you know. Um, but I, I didn't grow up as a Jew, practicing Jew. Um, and I'd, I'd attended church for, for several years, and so I, I took the plunge. I made the decision to accept Christ as my saviour. And how did that change your life? Because you said it was, it made a big impression. Yeah, it does. It makes it, it. It does. It's everything, really. Um, when you know why you're here, and, and you know what, um, you know that God has gifted this life to us, and then what, all we have is is we have our time, our talent, and our treasure. We have a very limited amount of time. My dad passed away when he was really, really young. I don't know how much. I've lived more than half my life, mm. um, so certainly time is is limited. And um, and how do you spell love? T I M E. Hmm. What advice would you give to your thirty year old self? Not thirteen. Thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't so long ago. My thirty year old self. Hmm. People can give you advice, and often it's in one ear and out the other. You actually have to experience it to believe it I think so I don't know that I would I I could have told myself to be braver and go for it but I don't think I would have listened to myself Mm. (laughs) you know you have to time has to be right you know you've got to be in the right frame of mind you've got to be in the right place and I started my business when I was 42 bit late kind of wish I had done it earlier there's no po- there's no point in having goes, regrets yeah. you know just go with the flow enjoy life enjoy every day sounds naff <laughs> I love it thank you so much Ruth thank for you, your Donna. time it's been really really great having you here thank you very much where can people find you oh everywhere Facebook um not so much on Twitter um Facebook is the place top schools HK for the business I'm on Facebook personally and um, www.topschools.com.hk And do you have any workshops or anything yeah, coming up that do. people should be... That everything's on the website? They can find it I'm there? I'm sure it is. It's on Facebook. We're all around town. We are, we'll go and talk to anybody that asks us. Um, we're very happy to meet anyone and, and have a chat and share um, our experience um, anytime. Lastly, did I miss anything or anything that you would like to... You covered pretty much everything. (laughs) (laughs) You made me bubble. Um, No, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed interviewing Ruth. She is the real deal. Ruth's personal story proves that our education and career paths don't always have to be linear and mapped out. Our children's happiness should guide the education decisions we make for them. Leave a comment if you would like more insight on any other topics we discussed. Check out topschools.com.hk and be sure to visit interested.blog to join the conversation, access the show notes and leave a comment or review. Subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoy this episode, share it with your friends.